from baltimore arizona. arizona yes yes we are we are feeling good we're feeling positive <laughs> and that is how you pod we're linked we're refused yeah so we're live from arizona and oftentimes i know i get thirsty in this hot hot desert so i go to the 7-eleven and i pick myself up an arizona iced tea for 99 cents the price is right on the can. And you know why I get that Arizona? Because it's cheaper than water. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, it's cheaper than buying a bottle of water at the same rate at most places I go to. Technically? Technically, yeah. Cheaper than water. Why do you think that is? Um, because... What do they make it with? <laughs> well, not water. <laughs> no, nah, it's like half sugar. No, nah, I don't know. I think it's because purified water has a bad taste if it's cheap. Mmm. They gotta add all the minerals to it. So like all that all that zinc, all that fluoride, you know, it costs costs money. Well so that's that. I mean that's why I don't drink water. Uh I just drink beer. Yes. I'm just kidding. I actually drink a ton of water. Me too. I'm a big I'm all I'm all about hydration. Nine glasses a day at least. I like to pee five or six times a day. But I get that Arizona because sometimes as an as an art professional, you don't have enough enough money to buy a sprite. Or a or a, a big old um, mocha latte from Starbucks. You you're a little desperate. You're thirsty. It's hot out. So you go and get an Arizona iced tea. Maybe you get two. That's two dollars. Two dollars and six cents. No, two dollars and twelve cents. One dollar and six cents. It's a dollar and six now. Well, it, that is with tax. You're right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What's your favorite Arizona flavor? I go with the Arnold Palmer. A little half and half, like half me. and half. Yeah. Half and half. I like. <laughs> I really, I like grape aid a lot. Is that a flavor? Yeah, it's oh, rare. Yeah. I like grape and orange. Yeah, they they have a good mango too. That stuff is thick though. The grape? Like the juice consistency oh, of like yeah, all dude. Arizona is dude, like thick. I'm all about drinking 100% the purest form of uh, corn syrup. You got three dollars. Like. You got three dollars and you 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 go to a corner store. What do you get to eat? Um, you need it for lunch. Dude, I'm definitely getting a, a 7-Eleven hot dog and uh, the purple, The if they have it, the grape Arizona. If not, I'm just going to get the normal flavor. I like mango. Mango's a good one. They yeah. usually have that one. It's a popular one. But bums me out because not a lot of places have grape because people hate on grape. Every time I tell people I like grape, they're like, oh, yeah, why are you so weird? I don't know why, but I feel like grape aid as a flavor is offensive somehow. Just something in my body, make the name what? of the flavor, Grape Aid. Grape Aid? Yeah, I don't know why. Gra what about Grape Nuts? Does that affect you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. Grape Nuts. Some what? people is have a nut allergy. grape in it? Oh, there's raisins in it, right? Yeah. Gra I mean, yeah. It's pretty uh, definitive. You know what you're getting. Yeah, well, sometimes, sometimes you find out you only got three, four dollars for lunch, and you got to go and get something. You don't have time. Because you're working on the railroad all day. You don't have time to go get some food. Yeah, I mean, like, look. This is what 
we we're doing this podcast, me and Gage, because technically we're the gateways into the art world from the perspective of two art students who were just going to art school because we loved art and we paid for it ourselves pretty much, got scholarships and shit like that. And we, that made us desperate. I didn't have a lot of money in art school. I know Gage wasn't balling because we were like sitting around in the summer trying to figure out how to get pizzas. From yeah. 7-Eleven? Yeah, to get a 7-Eleven $5, 7-Eleven That's your move, though. Yeah, I do that a lot. Uh, they raise the price, though, to seven ninety nine. So what? Yeah, it's wild, right? Damn. Sometimes as an artist, uh, you need to make art piece. You know, you're, gonna, you're, gonna go, you're going crazy. You're, like, sitting at the house. Like, how do I make some art? You don't got anything to paint on. You don't have any paints. Uh, so you get desperate, and you're like, where can I get some materials? And a lot of people, you know, look head on down to Michael's. Dick Blicks, they'll get some stuff. They'll like spend $180 on a canvas and some paints and that, that'll maybe last them a day. But today in this podcast, if we don't get distracted, Renz and I are going to give you all the hottest life tips to make art on the cheap, to flip it, do some dime store alchemy, you know. We're all about that B.O.B., balling on a budget. You know us, we love our acronyms. Remember that, bust out the notes. <laughs> bust out the books, B.O.B., Got a ball on a budget. <laughs> um, so I guess we could start with a story. Do you have any stories of like desperate art times where you had to get some materials and you did something, something oh, edgy for it? Oh, yeah, dude. I got in one of my art classes with uh, the Sandman. Um, man, he leaned in so hard on me, put me to sleep, bro. I'm <laughs> telling you. like, So I took his class. I was super excited for it. He was a very popular instructor. I was ready to paint, but at that time, uh, I just didn't have the money for, for nice materials. I didn't have the money for nice canvases. I was painting on found objects, painting on paper, painting on cardboard. It wasn't very popular uh, with art students, and I got a lot of really bad crits, but I didn't care because it was who I was. I was like, look, I can't really sacrifice my, my reality, so I might as well try to make art about that. It's hard for me. So I came in, I, you know, found a bag of paint, uh, the the bag from uh, the art store um, that used to have paint in it, but I used most of the paint. Um, so I didn't have a palette. I didn't have one of those nice glass palettes that people make, you know, made out of like a, a piece of nice glass. And for, for our new interns, can you explain what a palette is? So, so in art school, one of the premium palettes that you could be using the proper palette you can have the bigger the better too is a piece of glass and what you do is you take a little piece of cardboard and like maybe some paper underneath it uh, a lot of people like to use white paper i like to use gray paper and you tape it around so that the cardboard and the gray paper stays underneath a piece of glass and you can you can really mix your colors well you can clean it up with a blade and it works very well but i didn't have that yeah, your i couldn't paint doesn't get stuck to the glass no, I mean, like, you can just scrape it off right after if it's acrylic paint, oil paint, whatever. I didn't have enough money for glass at the time. I didn't feel the need to invest in it because I felt like a piece of plastic was perfectly fine. <laughs> so I came in. I had uh, my paper. I had my little bag. I was like, I'm just going to put my paint here and, and mix it on the paint. And we had to do an exercise. And he got an attitude. And he was like, made a face. He's like, well, what are you doing? 
are you taking this class seriously? I was like, yeah, I'm taking it super seriously. Like how, <laughs> how, how is, how am I not taking it seriously? Like I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Like I, I have this piece of plastic. I can't afford to do any cut me off. He was like, all right, you know what? I don't want you doing this. I don't think you're taking this seriously. Uh, you're supposed to be an artist, right? So get creative and go find something better than this. And I was like, dang. He's like, don't come back after lunch if you can't find anything better. So I was like, this mother jammer. So I scraped up some cash. I had like, I don't know, less than $20. I bought a, I found a picture frame on sale. So that's what I did. I wrapped a gray piece of paper under the picture frame. It was like a really small one too, eight by 11, like a piece of piece of paper, regular piece of office paper. And he, I came back and he was like, all right, I guess that's fine, whatever. And from that moment on, I just like had a weird feeling being in that class. I was like, damn, this guy's judging me. Yeah, he's some not... glassism, right? It was definitely glassism. It was, it was, it was a materialism, not the com. The, yeah, I guess it was materialism. Yeah, I was salty at the end of the day. You know. Yeah, that's that's so uh, prevalent, especially in expensive art schools. Is like like people think you're not taking it seriously mm -hmm. just because you got a material out of the dumpster. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I get that you're you should be using decent materials. But if my art school is so expensive, they should at least be providing me with some stuff. At least the leftovers. Yeah, dude. Like, don't... I don't know, man. Like, I found a lot of good stuff in the trash after semesters ended. Like, I'm, yeah. I, you got good stories about that. We all got good stories about that. Um, basically, after the semester ends, all of the students who don't want to deal with like packing up their stuff or storing it, living in the dorms, they just dump it out straight up. You'll find TVs in the dumpster, Ikea microwaves, furniture, like good stuff. You got so any, much good stuff. You got any good stories from? I don't really have any great stories from. I found like a, it wasn't even me. My friend found found a toaster oven, and then uh, I was the one to climb the fence and grab it because <laughs> I was like the smallest and most nimble Filipino climber. Oh yeah, I found a lot of good stuff. Uh, I used to work in the wood shop, so a lot like there was one teacher who would have students buy like tools for their class, and you know at the end of the year people were throwing out saws, hammers, you know, tons of hardware. I mean, if you were to go to Home Depot and buy that stuff, you're talking like two hundred, three hundred bucks. Um, glass pallets. I got a I got a, a vacuum sealer. I got a bunch what? of vinyl. Uh, milk crates. Vacuum seal your paintings. Yeah. Yeah, vacuum seal your paintings. I mean, a vacuum sealer is good. I keep all my steak in a vacuum sealer. Like, all that good, good prime USDA meat. Um, you keep your socks in a vacuum sealer before you have to wash them? Like, no, after work? No, I just wear the same ones every two weeks. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You should vacuum seal your feet. Yeah, that'd be a good move. Well, like... Sometimes if I'm if I want to wear slides out, I'll put a pair of socks on and then I'll put a and I know it's gonna rain. I'll put a plastic bag over the socks but under the slides. What? So the slides are like style or comfort or both? Both. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I I like slides. It's very Filipino. You should get like Filipino flip flops, like the plastic like the plastic ones. Do they have like a thong between the toes though? You don't like those? Nah, not really. I don't want to feel like my toes are being flossed. Like, it's not, that's where all the gunk goes. Like, I'm sure those... If you wear those, like, thongy flip-flops on your feet, I I feel wrong for asking you to do this, but please give it a whiff. I I bet it's the stankiest thing of all time, but, you know, life is about experience. So, sometimes you get desperate as an artist. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big topic. Not everybody can afford stuff in our school. I know I couldn't. And I'm, it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse, but it is what it is. You got to be creative. And, and Sandman was right. You got to be creative to figure out what you got to do. And to be honest, 90% of my work wasn't created on a canvas that I bought. It was a lot of it for leftovers from things that old canvases that uh, artists would leave behind after a semester. And I would just collect it all. Or I would paint on pieces of wood that I found in the trash. Like like you said, the wood shop was a good uh, resource for getting pieces of wood to paint on. I, I, you know, when you when you spend all your money on paints, those things are expensive. They can be like between seven to literally like fifty dollars for a, a little tube. Yeah, and that's like four twelve packs. Like, why would you spend it on 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 the materials when you could get the inspiration? Yeah, and also, like, most of my money, I'd say 60 to 75% of it, I had to budget out for my food. They forced me to pay for a uh, food plan, but that food plan, the cheapest one, which was actually not very cheap, only covered, realistically, like, maybe uh, half the year if you really did it right. One meal a day, I think, is what... Yeah. It was a one meal a day, day plan, but you, you eat three meals in a day, so. Or you should. You should. Good like, boy. And what did you do? I, I know we got a few techniques with, like, sneaking into the calf. Oh, I went freegan for a while. So those of you who don't know what freegan means, it means you don't eat anything that you pay for. Um, it's something that dirty hipster kids do when they just would rather spend their money on, on uh, substances. So I would... I didn't necessarily go dumpster diving because I worked at, like, a food place, so I would just only take mm. food home from work. Uh, the cafeteria at our school, you could, I mean, I was always really polite to the people that worked there when I did, when I was forced to have a meal plan, um, to the point where, like, you know, I knew them by name and, like, we would chop yeah. it up or whatever. Yeah, for sure. So no one would ever look or think twice if I just walked in. They didn't really care. Yeah, man, they were cool. Like, I was friends with a couple of them. Yeah. Also. I, I would clean up my mess. I think that was a really big thing was, like, I would, like, wipe down the table and all that shit, which is not a lot to ask for for free food. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, they really appreciate being treated like people, like regular people, too, like, greeting them and doing that type of stuff. And, it, yeah, it goes a long way. It's weird how a uniform, to some people, like, a uniform turns someone into, like, a, a part of a machine that just serves them. A servant. So yeah. yeah. It, but it's like I don't even think that people treat like people in uniform like servants. They just like treat them like part of an object entity, without recognizing that there's someone in that like police uniform or something. Like yeah, that's a good example. Would you would you go so far as to say it's disrespectful? Uh, yes and no. I think it's more like a lack of self awareness for most people. Some people disrespect people in uniforms or like just people at a job in general. But I think it's more so a lack of self awareness. Like. Like for some reason, and you know, you know the the people. It's always someone, um, the type of people that ask to speak to the manager. They come in and like that whole sense of human empathy just turns off, and they think it's fucking okay to talk to people, even though someone like a, for example, a cashier at McDonald's is a representative of McDonald's. They're also a human, but some people just forget that. And it's the same thing with like customer service. Like for some reason, people on the other end of a phone line that you haven't seen in person, like, pe some people think that it that gives them a free pass to treat people like an object. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I wasn't raised that to, to treat 
people and other them because of, I don't know, misconceptions, misperceptions, mister perceptions. I mean, have you ever had like a customer service job where you had to like... Yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Hopefully. I worked at Hopefully. I was, yeah. uh, I was uh, I started out working outside, the most uh, demeaning job I could possibly imagine. But I literally collected carts and helped people to their cars if they were struggling with too many bags. Usually it was like old ladies or pregnant women or women with, with children. And I was happy to do it. But I, some of those people would treat me the way that you're, you just described. And they I, would treat you like whatever. the cart? Like you were you were just like a, a, a like a motor and a set of gears attached to the cart that's supposed to put stuff in the back of their car. You, I don't know. I, I I would go so far as to say, even more offensive than that. They would treat me like they like they would judge me and assume that I didn't speak English or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, that's or like that I was bad. like a, like a thug or something like that. Dude, you ever met like a like a a southern an Asian person with like a southern accent. <laughs> That's very specific. No, I, I maybe I don't know. It's not common. I realized my like my like media bias and prejudice because there's this kid who transferred to like my high school, um, or not my high school. He moved into my neighborhood when I was in high school, and he was an Asian yeah. kid with a southern accent. Dang. But when I when I met him, he said something real fast, and. I assumed he was speaking a different language, and I kept asking him to repeat his, himself, and he's like, I'm not going to try and do a southern accent for you guys, but he's like, what, do you not speak fucking English? Like, and I was like, oh, shit, you, you're you speaking with a southern dialect. Like, like, I got like real like etymologist about it. I was like, you're speaking with a southern dialect. That's so interesting. I've never met an Asian person from the south who's like, <laughs> really from the south. Wow. Win super nuisance phone from yeah. <laughs> King of the Hill. Yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> you didn't have it. You had a straight Laotian accent, though. But it's like, totally different. But, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? They're like, people see you and they're just like, oh, they make assumptions. Dang it, Gage. I, <laughs> you speak English. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. I, I that's, that's very interesting to me. When I used to cater, I would get treated the same way. Like, people assume, you know, because you're like, like college aged, but you're doing a service job, especially at, so I would work weddings and I would bartend and I would like serve people hors d'oeuvres. And they would, it is always like two types of, well, there's three types of people, people who have common sense and treat, you know, service workers as just people who happen to be on the clock at their job. Mm -hmm. And then the other two types of people are like people who like really want to like empathize with you. And like, they always flex like, oh yeah, like, my cousin used to work at a fast food place. It's like, well, that has nothing to do with what we're doing. Do you want chicken or pork? <laughs> and then the other type of people who don't even look you in the eye. And then they get mad at you when you like, like they have like a half filled drink in their hand and they're expecting you to pour a drink into their hand, but they don't ask you to do it. Like, I don't know. I guess my assumption is if I'm at a place and I'm like holding something in my hand, I don't really want anyone to mess with it at all. Especially if it's like, like my thing, like it's my cup. I don't want you to pour water into it randomly. You're gonna spill it all over my fucking hand. Right. I was just trying to respect their boundaries, but because they don't look at service members, or sorry, it sounds like a like a military officer thing. Because they don't look at people in the service industry as people, they assume it's our responsibility to know exactly what they want, but they're also not gonna look at you and talk to you like a person because they're there with real people. They're mm -hmm. there talking to their family members and to people that they just met at a wedding. So, like, you don't exist. Right, right. I mean, it, it, that, it makes sense to me. I get it. 
And this is a great topic in the conversation of desperation. College jobs can be a desperate measure for people to oh, apply yeah. to. You, like, you, there's a point where you could, you just apply to anything because you need the cash. You need that cash flow. I, I want to segue a little bit into something interesting that one of my English teachers from high school or it was a middle school, eighth grade. Or, oh, no, I'm mixing it all up. This was community college. <laughs> totally fucking messed up. Anyways, uh, so she was writing about the service industry and how she thought it was interesting that there was a relationship with the system of the service industry and the system in uh, military uh, organizations. She said she her thesis was that they are the same and that there's something about uh, the capitalist system that just re-imagines the same military industrial system and puts it into consumerism you think so it's deep i i i'm not sure but that that's she said she was writing a book about it and i mm. thought it was really interesting yeah that is interesting I, i'd need to give that some thought yeah i mean like in a way i guess the quickest comparison i can make is the ranking system Mm. So you got ranks in the military, and you got the same thing. You, you, you got the line cooks. You got the thing that's like your private, uh, and then you got the the, the, manager, the sergeants, yeah. Yeah. manager, and then you go up. The, you CEO is your general. Yeah, it's the same thing with any other businesses. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of. It's 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 a hard distinction to make because I think like a lot of good large organizations need that type of leadership pattern where it's like if I'm like. Like, if I'm not here, then these people, like, know how to lead in a way that, like, I would respect if I'm if I'm the general, right? But, you know, in small organizations, like, let's say you are working in a restaurant and there's, like, six people who work there and you guys all do different jobs. But then also someone has to, on top of their job of, like, maybe being the bartender, they're also the manager. You know, that can lead to some confusion in the workplace when everyone has an equal load to pull, but then one person's in charge. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's a very deep topic to unpack. Yeah. Anything having to do with the military-industrial complex is really hard because there's I, so many aspects to shoot, it. I don't even get that. Dude, just, I just think about how it's somehow a bunch of money spent on defense that generates income somehow. That's mm. all. It was Somehow we make money off of war, but we also lose it. it, it it's confusing to me. Mm. Because Interesting. Yeah, there's not... Like, it... I guess the best way to put it is, like, it's somehow a way of generating a resource, but the resource it generates tends to be, like, like I don't know, human potential energy. Like, like we might kill someone. The Matrix. Yeah, is that the resource that we're generating, like, that we have guns? That's China's major resource is human labor. Mm. We don't have, they don't have, um, like, actual resources out there? Do they do they do onshore drilling? I don't know. Yeah, I, I look. I think they're colonizing Africa right now. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody told me a story about how this this man visits Africa often, and he's a journalist, travel a uh, uh, travel journalist. And when he goes there, he hears these stories from the nat the the locals, and they have their own trade. They have they they do fishing. And that's what they sell. They sell fish, and, and they, they pretty much live off the land. And when you have uh, this, this, this other country, in this instance, China, coming in, buying the land, um, 
making it easier for people to afford the fish, that's a form of control. That's mm -hmm. a form of colonization. They're yeah. going there, the land is theirs. They're pretty much taking over the fish trade, taking it away from the people that live there and saying, okay, we can offer you this fish for less money. And that spirals into a sort of dependency to the, the person in power, the dominant, the dominant culture in power at that time. And I think like I can kind of deduce that as a form of colonization. I guess it's happening. I guess I, I that leads me to ask like who sold them the land in the first place? The government. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of governments can be that corrupt, man. I mean, we, we see it every day, we hear about it every day. It's kind of it's it's kind of hard. I mean, we're not really diverging too far from the topic of desperation. We're just taking it away from our desperate desperation and, and you see how prevalent it is now. It's Yeah. Everyone's desperate. And it kind of leads you to do things that you wouldn't normally or ethically want to do. Like, I don't know, going to Home Depot, getting a cart, filling it with, like, spray paint cans or something, and then walking out the garden section. Straight thieving. I, we talk, I talked about it. We both had a couple topics in previous episodes. I said that I stole a skateboard, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I literally stole a skateboard, and, and, and theft is a form of desperation. Yeah, I used to always just take one extra paint tube or something if yeah. I went shopping. Like, it's not the answer. Yeah. It's not the answer, but it is It is a, a reaction to being desperate for something. I mean, more often, it's it's being desperate for something like food. But sometimes sometimes people get desperate for stuff like like because they exist in a society material, and they get desperate for something like a, like a phone or shoes. Mm-hmm. Or, um, or a cool hat. Yeah. And they resort to some underhanded way of doing that. But also, an even bigger incentive, in my opinion, than being desperate for, for material, for a resource, is the fear of being desperate. So, like, people who have enough, getting scared that they might not. Hmm. Hmm. What do you mean? Can you elaborate? Yeah, like, I think that there are, for example, people with a considerable amount of resources and power who work really hard, maybe even against, uh, the, the, against the benefit of people with less power than them. They work really hard against people with less resources than them, specifically so that they're never in that position. Yeah. Like, I don't want to drop any specific examples um but maybe like i don't know the u.s government like rejecting like migrants or something because we have enough but like they're scared that they're not going to have enough so then they do everything they can to like treat other people like poorly oh i see yeah i see that is a legitimate really terrible and that's it, a fear that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's a it's a wild incentive. Like it's this, greed. This fear of desperation. It's greed and selfishness. If I ever saw it. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think I think there are people in the world who are like super greedy and super selfish. But I don't think it comes from like this weird like va almost vampiric like just natural predisposition to be like greedy. I think like people. I think the fear mm. that different individuals have manifests. Sometimes in violent ways, even. Well, I mean, I got a little proverb for that for everybody, for you, for me. 
If you want to climb the ladder of life, two wrongs don't make a right ladder. Because <laughs> you can't climb if you only have two. And if you have a ladder and you want to go up, the, the simplest way up is to have your ladder at the right angle. <laughs> you got that in your notebooks, uh, interns? That's right. Yeah, but don't don't get fooled. Being on the right doesn't make you right. In fact, it might get you left behind. Speaking of desperation, <laughs> uh, Gage and I are desperate for people to sign up for the Patreon. Sign up for our Patreon, please. It's uh, It'll help you because you will be getting more amazing content like this. You're listening to the art pros, your gateway into the art world, the baddest artists in Baltimore, Arizona. Welcome to the art pros. We're the hungriest guys in Baltimore, Arizona. We're the, we're the baddest artists. Yeah, we're the baddest. You can interpret that how you want. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so desperation, we, we, we touched a little bit on, on being desperate What's a what's a good what's a good way of preventing being desperate for the interns? I okay, I believe that the best way is to be really just optimistic and positive and strong about things. It's it's difficult, it's painful. I don't need to be telling Gage. Gage's work is all about strength. As an arm wrestler, as a comedian, all of that it, you need to be powerful mentally and physically every single day. So uh, for me, one of the most desperate times in my life was, I said it in the last episode, I was dealing with terrible health issues. I didn't get a loan because the person, the, the, the entity that was to provide me a loan didn't think that, they, that I was a safe person to loan money out to. Because I didn't work the past year because I was in school, so I didn't get a loan. I thought I was gonna get, I thought I was gonna have to uh, drop out of school. I was desperate, so I got a job. I got, uh, I ended up uh, reaching out to the financial aid people. I reached out to my advisor. They helped me out. They paid for the rest of my school. I wrote a letter. I said, I, "This is why I'm broke, and I'm broke for a real reason." And I uh, got my grant. I got school paid for. I still needed to pay for my my life, my living expenses. So I got a job as a, as a security guard at the school. I was really bad at it, and I got welfare. I got food stamps. I was on food stamps for a while. I was shopping at Whole Foods. I was living medium. Yeah. I wasn't living large. Kind of small, kind of medium, but I was getting good food. I was cooking it up. I was very happy. Were you baking on a budget? I was. I was cooking, dude. <laughs> Felt like Big B. Like, like, uh, Clayton Bigsby? Uh, who's that? I don't know. It, I've messed up a name in my head. I've heard that before, though. Clayton Bigsby. I thought it was the, the fake clan member from that Dave Chappelle sketch. <laughs> uh, the black, the black head of the, of the clan. But I don't, I don't know if that was his name. Ah, whatever. This is, that's not good podcasting. What you guys came here for was really good podcasting, and if you want the second half of this episode, you got to donate to our Patreon. <laughs> well, it's like, no, I'm just playing. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, we'll talk, we're talking about desperation. We're talking about, this is a good topic for uh, to start with that. Our city, there's a lot of people in the city, and I think this is my personal 
feeling about why I connect to the city and why I decided to stay. A lot of people who graduate from the school we went to, they end up leaving to go to greener pastures, and I'm happy for them because they are being very successful. But I believe that you got to stay where the fight is. It's, it's, just my, it's just who I am, and I see every day in my city people fighting, people... I don't want to use the desperate the word desperate about the people. I I, I want to use the word courageous and and uh, people like to use the word gritty. We're you know us as the smoothest podcasters, but we're also the grittiest podcasters. Hey, look, 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 listen. Higher grit sandpaper makes for smoother pieces of wood. Fist bump, dude. Yes, you hear that? So we're the smoothest podcasters because we're surrounded by grit. That's what you're gonna get if you subscribe to the Patreon. Subscribe to the Patreon. If you disagree with us at all, we'll we'll invite you right on to the fucking show. We could have a, we could have a conversation. You want to teach us something? You can call in. You want to talk about Baltimore? We'll let's. You know what? Let's talk about Baltimore right we're all now. Ears. Let's do it. Yeah, we're all mouth too. Mode. Yeah, <laughs> we're all talk. Yeah, we're all we're all talk. No, I mean, people use the word desperate because it it makes them feel like. Like, they've accurately explained what's going on out here. I don't think it's a very accurate explanation. I don't think people are desperate. I think people are um, in, a, in, a, in a moment of change in Baltimore. And I think a lot of people from our school are scared of seeing change. They don't want to, to face the fact that, like, they're in a changing cultural landscape. And... As I'm assuming most of you have gone through puberty, growing pains exist and it hurts. Changing, totally. yeah, changing hurts. Watching, um, watching a cultural landscape start to address like maybe it's it's systemic problems or maybe it's cultural problems or maybe uh, a lack of understanding between different parts of the community. Like watching a community address that can be kind of terrifying because not everyone's going to agree on how you move forward. Mm -hmm. So people, I don't think people leave to pursue greener pastures. I think people leave because they're scared of change. Scared of change. Yeah. They want to go somewhere where they kind of just identify with everything around them and they understand it and they're not ready to like think on the fly and roll when they fall. That's a, that's one opinion. I think that's valid too. That, that could apply to a few people. I think that people leave for multiple reasons. People might leave because it's difficult yeah. to live here. It's really not easy to live here and 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 thrive and be happy. It, it, it's it's not easy to, to get that that job in the art field after school living here. Yeah, there, it's few and far between. And people decide to go to bigger, more established cities like New York City, Los Angeles, like those are the two most popular ones that I can imagine, and it's fair. You go go there. All right, let's go go. You could go to Miami. You could go to Miami, St. Louis. Yeah, St. Louis, Kansas City, also. Yeah, where Kansas City's popping. Yeah, but you know what? I like the people here. I love the people. I love the spirit. I love the energy. This is the best I city love in the Arizona. Work. It's the. <laughs> you go to Arizona. You visit Baltimore City. You can, you know, you've seen The Wire. That's not an accurate representation of the city. It's it's a great television show. It's a great story. But I'm at the end of the day, I feel like a lot of Baltimore's history has been washed away. It's rich past. It's gone. And I'm talking about 
I'm talking about here. I'm gonna use the word. It, it's been bleached from the history books in yeah. a way. Something a like bit. like erasure. I've, I've heard a lot. I've heard a little bit of uh, accounts from people who have lived here from for all their lives, saying that Baltimore used to be what you would call a Black Wall Street. Tons of business owners. Tons of uh, African American business owners. Tons of Af black businesses. Uh, black arts and entertainment district that was popping. Straight like a lot of big names in the past. Jazz musicians, singers, pianists would stop at Baltimore because this was the spot to be. But it's all gone. It's all gone. And those same districts are suffering. But right now they're trying to fight the best that they can to reclaim their right at and reclaim the history and that's why i enjoy being here i like being a part of that battle i'm a warrior soul i'm a soul warrior i th that's that's how i feel yeah yeah i just hope for uh, a community and city where like people can get what they need yeah easily it, it what really irks me on the topic of desperation, are food deserts and terrible transportation. I think those two things really bug me. Speci specifically, like, transportation that ignores disenfranchised areas. And, you know, maybe we'll have to cut this part out, but I was talking to that dude yesterday who was saying, like, oh, like, if we didn't have our current tax system, like, like only urban areas would get access to... Uh, to, to functional transportation and rural areas, you know, wouldn't get access to functional transportation. But we currently have a tax system that doesn't do that. So I don't know. I don't, that, that stuff's complex to me. Yeah. I think that that conversation was like talking about how governmental and uh, capitalist systems ideally should work. Yeah. And how they don't. But currently. they're not. Yeah. So, and your, your point was to say that they should actually that there should be measures to solve and create more solutions towards that. I'm in over my head thinking about those solutions. I am overwhelmed by those solutions. Yeah, well, you're you're personal. You're like a person to person type of guy. Like you're, you're here for the people. I guess I guess I may be. Yeah. Um. But oh man, I lost my train of thought. I'm getting emotional. Dude, we're artists. We get emotional. Desperation. What's going? What was I just talking about? Uh, government systems, ideally. Oh, before that. Yeah. I don't know. We could run it back. It's all recorded. Um. Eh, whatever. I'm just gonna start talking about how I can't stop listening to some forty one. Me neither. Sometimes you get desperate for new music, but you cling to what you know. What the safest thing is. I. I, I feel. I'm feeling. I'm feeling like this topic has gotten me very passionate and emotional about the city I live in because it affects a lot of really good people. So I'm going to talk about other people who may not be as good. Oh, such we, were as, we were talking about transportation. Oh, man, we were talking about transportation. That's yeah, right. Food deserts. Let's transport it back to that topic of food deserts then. Yeah, I think that... Um... I think that what you were saying about, like, black businesses being able to thrive in the past in Baltimore is, like, that's completely related to food deserts now because the food deserts tend to be in, like, areas that have a higher disenfranchised population and specifically because those areas don't have a lot of opportunity to build businesses there. 
mostly because like a lot of the commercial spaces are are like broken down not through any fault of like the community members just because like like the roads out there are messed up and you know because the local government isn't taking the time to fix those areas because there's not businesses there and it just starts to snowball because there's no business out there there's not going to be more business out there so we need to get more opportunity for people to become you know small business owners in places that don't have a lot of commerce so we can start to address like food desert issues so that the only people so that it's not just people like whole foods or like save a lot that can provide like a resource for food in an area here's the crazy thing that just happened in real time when people encounter crazy difficult conversations like this that tug at the heartstrings they just want to think about something else like some 41 or listening to Papa Roach or something <laughs> like that. That's what happens, man. Cut that's my what, life into pieces. That's what happens. People are... Uh, difficult conversations are painful to feel. They're emotional. But you got to do it sometimes if you really want to see your community get better. If you really want to see other people get what they deserve in a positive way. That's... I think that's it. That's... There's there's not enough time in one hour pod to to figure out the issues. There needs to be action that needs to put on be put on this issue. So I propose if everybody uh, subscribes to the Patreon, <laughs> uh, Gage and I will be the foot soldiers to, uh, to <laughs> I don't know. I'm just bull, bull. To, to overthrow the local high school bureaucracy. To make sure our students get the classes they need. We're going to be the president of Baltimore, Arizona. Yeah. We will go out there. We'll fix every... Depending on, on how much... How many of you subscribe, we'll fix... For each each $3 subscriber, I'll fix one pothole eventually at some point. With... Uh, what's that called? Ooblock? With Ooblock. Yeah. Ooblock. In a Kevlar bag. Mm-hmm. You can put it in there. It, it, it doesn't matter. For those of you who don't know, Baltimore's built on like a marsh land i'm pretty sure so every year we get more and more potholes because all the moisture in the ground underneath the pavement um expands and contracts throughout the seasons and it creates cracks Mm mm-hmm yeah 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 i'm 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 bummed out by talking about problems in in our city man yeah well it's a it's desperate times oh yeah we could talk about like like what's good about being desperate um well, sometimes it leads you to make better artwork, I think. Okay. Like, if you can't afford, you know, the canvas you want or, like, the type of wood you want, there's a moment where you go out and you're like, I have this idea that I want to express. And you find, you you go out, you're hoping you could find, like, a nice fresh canvas. And you go out and you find, like, a tarp, like a blue like Home Depot tarp, and you find um, an old bed frame. Okay. And you find a way to mount that Home Depot tarp to that old bed frame to make an object that you never would have imagined or thought of to make had you had the money to actually just buy the canvas you wanted. And you, you, mm-hmm. you make this, like, this object through necessity that then inspires you to grow and do a more interesting painting on on with a color scheme you wouldn't have thought about. Maybe with materials you wouldn't have thought about. Maybe you make a sculpture. And I've seen a lot of people make decisions like that that end up 
working out and their benefit. What's your favorite uh, desperation art that you've ever created? That I've ever created? Yeah. Um, man, that's a hard one. <laughs> when I was a freshman, I like didn't like having to pack my cigarettes. This isn't my favorite piece, but I didn't like having to pack my cigarettes. So like I rigged together something out of like a, a spring and like a hairbrush handle and like some pieces of wood that would pack like multiple packs of cigarettes <laughs> at a time. Which I thought was cool. Like, <laughs> um, like that's like a dumb problem to solve. I've some my buddy put me on to using like bike tube, like the elastic from inside of bike tubes for pretty much anything you need like elastic for. Right. So you can like cut bike tubes down into like small rubber bands, or you can use it to tie and like make rope. I like stuff like that. I mean, you always need elastic, and it's really expensive. You can use it to tie down stuff if you're moving. Um, I mean, look, dude. Uh, we come from a history of uh, peoples in the Philippines who act on desperation in positive ways. Like, look at the jeepneys that they have. Those were jeeps left behind by the military from the wars. Uh, the the motorcycles that are left behind. What the people did in the Philippines was they said, hey, we can use these jeeps that they left. And now that, that that's the public transportation there. Yeah. They use those those jeeps, apparently, last forever under the hands of the right Filipino mechanic. Yeah. Yeah, they literally last forever. If you if you like yeah, just take care of them, them. right? Yeah, yeah. They do. And they make them bigger. That's your that's a, the bus everybody a lot of people recognize the Filipino highly decorated jeepneys. That's that's very artistic in itself. There's a lot of really well decorated jeeps out there. People hand paint those jeeps. Uh, and and the tricycles are more local localized uh methods of transportation. They're literally just like a a bike with a motorcycle with a side cart with a roof like a covering at the top and you get in if you want to go somewhere five minutes away you pay him a couple pesos which equals a few cents in you know you're trying to go five blocks you don't feel like walking you pay the local jeepney driver down the street you walk to him you say hey can you take me to the the save a lot down the street you're like yep here you go take him a couple cents take you there and you're done yeah sick and love it and I'm sure that that's where, nah, I, I'm bullshitting. I was going to say Uber share, Uber ride share stole that idea from the Philippines, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> like everyone's carpooled before. That's our Uber pride pool. talking. Yeah. Um, have you ever been to that restaurant Jeepney in New York? No. It's like a Filipino-American fusion place. Have you? Yeah. It's they. The one thing I don't like is they all wear like like Hawaiian shirts. Mm. Which I find like mildly offensive, but everyone who worked there was Filipino or at least liked Filipino people. All right. Yeah, I was like, you know, whatever. Well, <laughs> on the topic of Filipino food, uh, my buddy Dylan is killing it with Kalasog. He's trying to elevate the Filipino cuisine, and I, it's so good. If you ever have a chance to to catch up on, or or if you find an event, a pop up, it's a pop up uh, food. It's a pop-up food event that Dylan does, and there's a team. I've helped out a few times. It's 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 very good. Yeah, it, I bet. Yeah, it's like elevated Filipino cuisine. But anyways, back on the topic of ele- uh, desperate art, my senior thesis was all about it. Yeah. That was a time when I was struggling. That was a time when I couldn't afford anything, and the time when I was going through health issues and, and money problems, no loans, no... Uh, crappy job and i made my work about that i had to do a lot of walking 
I had to do a lot of uh, uh, discovering new mediums, new materials, and I would use my experience as my main medium. And I would paint on literally anything I would find, broken pieces of wood, paper, drawing. I would write. I wrote like a 70-page book about the whole experience. And I hung it kind of salon style. I, I, I Everything that I had painted from the start of that uh, uh, struggle to the end of the thesis, I hung up. Whether it be a piece of paper, whether it be the book I printed out and binded myself. I printed it out on paper at school and binded it myself with some glue. Uh, I used all the found objects, all the broken pieces of wood, and, and, and I made my own business cards out of cardboard from the old little uh, show cards that people, you know, come to my show, their little postcards. I cut them up and just wrote my website on it. And I, my thesis defense went super well. It went really well. Do you think a lot of people who, like, went to that show, like, like, do you think that it added to, I guess, the, the virility of your work that it was done like that? I don't think so, because I was, I didn't really understand the spot, because you, you were allowed to pick the spot where you could install your work, and the spot that I installed my work, because I asked for a really big wall, because I had a lot of work, and I wanted to put it as close together as possible to show that the volume of my work and all of these tiny different things and different mediums, different pieces of paper, different canvases that I found. Um, they put me in this building that was kind of like really low key. Yeah. I don't know if it added to it, but the people that saw it liked it. So yeah. that's, they, I feel like they understood. Well, I'll tell you what, desperation in art tends to, from what I've seen as like someone who works with like art students and like as an artist, Desperation in art tends to do the same thing as um, as desperation for inventors. So it's like oftentimes mm. when someone makes a good invention, it's because they need something done or there's a problem that they want to solve that they don't have the resources, whether it's something they can't buy or like it's too expensive to solve. And I think like artists do the same thing. Like if, if they can't afford to make their ideal piece, they kind of remix their idea and use the resources they have and problem solve in a way that ends up alchemizing something even more interesting. I agree. Yeah, I think I that response to, to solving problems is really important. Um, a lot of my favorite artists do that. Like a lot of my peers that I'm friends with who make really great work, they tend to make that work because they have a problem with not being able to afford making the coolest art that they want to make so they figure out a cheaper way to do it that then has like a sort of charm that you can't really like manufacture. Hey, this is a great segue into what we could uh, talk about in the next episode is problem solving. Problem solving, yeah. What do you think about that? Oh uh, man, that's a big topic. Big topic. Yeah, we could do like math problem solving. Like if you think that <laughs> the next episode should be a math tutor, two hours of math tutoring for high school algebra, just donate to our Patreon. Leave us a leave us a, a comment, a like. We're desperate. We're really, really desperate for money. That's, <laughs> that's like that's like where this podcast came out of. We're like, should we get second jobs? <laughs> should we start working like a real job? No, let's start a podcast. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, our 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 partners are really angry at all the time we're spending at this, and we're in the doghouse every Saturday. Every Saturday, I I get jumped. 
Yeah. Yeah, by my by my partner, she gets real mad. She's like, "How dare you care about art?" Yeah, I, I get put in a full Nelson by a five foot two like Does person. She, are you okay? Does she really do that? Yeah, yeah. I pass out every every from lack of air. You hear that, interns? <laughs> this is the type of dedication it takes. This is the type of desperation it takes to make a podcast happen. Episode six. Oh, have we dropped? We we haven't dropped a video yet. But we're going to. By the time you hear this, the video will be dropped. It'll be great. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I hope you guys are uh, enjoy or already do enjoy our promo videos. We were desperate to make that video. We we didn't have very many resources. Renz has a really nice camera because he's going to be the next hottest director in Baltimore, Arizona. But we made a video. Yeah, I'm a sick. I'm I'm a really good director and editor. I'm like probably like the seventh best editor and director yeah. in Baltimore, Arizona. John yeah. John Kubrick was saying that he wishes that he could uh, direct yeah. the way that you could when he was your age. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I, I don't know about that. You know, here's my, this is my humility, and it comes from my roots as a Filipino person. So, uh, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. I'm just, I'm just doing what I like. Yeah. I might be good at it, but I don't need to talk about it. Yo, what are the ISO? What's the ISO at? On the mic? Yeah. What's the white balance on the mic right now? I don't yeah. know. I gotta look it up. Yeah. Yeah. This All is right. where we would cut in the Sum 41 yeah. thing again, right? Dude, I, I, I literally cannot stop listening to Sum 41. I just had this moment uh, one day, like two weeks ago. I woke up. I felt really good. And the melody played in my head for Fat Lip. And I was like, what is that song? What is that song? And it's just like, see, that's what empowers me in a time of desperation is this, this, this gem deep inside that says you can, you're, you can do this. You have the strength to get through these hard times. And if you're going through hard times, if you're going through desperate times, just think about the song Fat Lip. <laughs> <laughs> Just think about the song In Too Deep by yeah. Sum 41. Is that also? Uh, that's not Blink-182? It's like, no, that's, that's, so. Is it Three Days Grace? No, so, so Sum 41 did In Too Deep. Sum 41, like, really took advantage of the sound of the early 2000s. Like, uh, so In Too Deep is kind of like the Smash Mouth version. Oh. Uh, so, so they had, like. They rap, they rap in Fat Lip, so that was like their Papa Roach style song. Oh, okay. And and mixed with some Forty One and the In Too Deep song, In Too Deep, and I'm trying to keep. That's their up, Smash up, Mouth. Up, yeah. my head. That's totally Smash Mouth. Yeah. Keep going under, keep Art. going under. That's so I'm Smash in Mouth. Too deep, and I'm trying to keep. See, see, that's what happened. Maybe they were desperate for pop. Yes. <laughs> yep. They were desperate to succeed in the music industry, and they ended up coming up with some smash hits. I'm pretty sure that they were even in Tony Hawk Pro Skater. You know, Tony Hawk Pro Skater put me on to a Nas also. What song was... The World Is Yours, Tony Hawk's Underground. Oh, yeah. Because yo. Nas is too, was too... By the time I was old enough to you know, tell the difference between music genres. He was too woke for, for mainstream hip-hop radio stations. But right. that song is really good. The World Is Yours. Let me talk about a little bit of desperation 
uh, from my history as a Filipino immigrant child. I'm a first generation Filipino immigrant. I ate a lot of desperation foods. Uh, my family would buy cans of tuna, Lego brand tuna, and uh, liver spread, spam. Spam is like a major spam. Filipino desperation food, yeah. but it's so good. Filipino breakfast, soul breakfast. You get you get the good stuff for less. You know, is corn does corned beef count as a desperation <laughs> food? Yeah, dude. Uh, who the heck? Who the heck yep. thinks like, I want to get corned beef today? I don't know. I like I, I, my family had it so much growing up that like I didn't really think about it. I just thought it was like a normal breakfast dude, dish, but no one has it. So good. Have you ever tried uh, pancit canton? Have you ever heard of that? I mean, I've had pancit. So pancit canton is like top ramen, but without broth. Oh, really? Yeah. So so what you do is you get this packet. It's a Filipino brand, I believe. It's called pancit canton, and it derives from Cantonese noodles. So it's inspired by Chinese influence in the Philippines. Wait, can I ask you something that might sound dumb? What's up? Does pancit mean noodles? Yes. Oh, my God. I'm like, like you're like so much more... Filipino than me. That's all right. Have you ever visited? No, I haven't. I'm trying to go that's soon. All right, so that's that's fine because I grew up there for a few years. Three thousand dollar Patreon goal. I'll go to the Philippines, dude. That's the goal. Yeah. Take Gage to the Philippines. It costs three thousand dollars to yeah. go to the Philippines. <laughs> so we'll we'll gladly take Gage there. <laughs> we gotta take Gage to the Philippines. So here's the thing. Uh, uh, Pancit Canton. It comes in a packet, just like Top Ramen. You boil it up, you strain out the water, you put it in. It comes with, like, flavor dust and oil and soy sauce, and you put it in, you mix it up, and you eat that stuff with rice. If you don't think you're getting enough carbs from that, <laughs> you, you add <laughs> rice to it because you need to be full for another few hours before you eat the meat. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I talked about it I'm gonna loot again. I eat hot dog. I eat hot dogs on my sandwiches with with eggs. It's part of who I am. Oh yeah, basically bread and cheese sandwiches is like a thing. Hot dogs. Yeah. Hot dog. People love Filipino. People love hot dogs. They like to put hot dogs in their spaghetti. Really? My family never did that. We never made spaghetti though. Filipino spaghetti is that's uh, like white people shit. Filipino spaghetti is literally made with banana ketchup. Really? Yeah. So oh. it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that you made ketchup with spaghetti because I feel like you're just get... Filipino spaghetti. <laughs> you put sh you put you you get regular spaghetti noodles. Uh, in the Philippines, there's this product called banana ketchup. It's uh it's pretty much just sweet ketchup. It doesn't taste like bananas. It's just ketchup that's sweeter and less tangy. And you use that as uh the base of the sauce with tomatoes oh really yeah like tomato sauce or whatever but you got to cut it you got to cut it with a banana ketchup because you might not be able to afford four cans of tomato sauce you yeah. know what i'm saying you, yeah, you got to feed that. a whole family yeah you got your your cousins are living with you your auntie's living with you your grandma's living you got to feed 10 people you got to cut that stuff with banana ketchup you got to put meat in there you can afford only so much ground beef but guess what? Hot dogs are cheaper. So you cut some hot dogs and you put it in there. Yeah. That's it. That's Filipino spaghetti. It's sweet. It's so good. If you've ever been to Jollibee, I highly recommend the spaghetti at Jollibee. You, you, have you had Jollibee? No. Oh my goodness. That's why you, we got to get Gage to Jollibee. <laughs> we got to get Gage to Manila. Yeah, every... Um, 
every $15 we get on our Patreon is another 15 minutes Renz and I will spend researching for each episode. Right now, we're at a whopping zero, zero minutes of research per episode. Um, if we hit $3,000, I can do 3,000 minutes of research in the Philippines. How much does it cost to go to Jollibee's? Uh, where is the closest Jollibee? Here's probably like New York. All right. So at uh, 45 minutes, at $45, I can go to Jollibee's here, 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 do some listen. research. Let me pull out my fancy new phone. I got the big phone energy right now. How far is Jollibee from here? Jollibee locations. Locating Jollibee. Jollibee, I'm 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 pulling what up even the maps. Is New jo Jersey. Is, oh wait, there's one in Virginia Beach. Is Jollibee like a Wawa? Jollibee is a Filipino fast food place. Are you serious? Yeah, dude. They check have it Filipino out. stuff here. No, it's in Virginia. No, I mean like in in the U.S. Yeah, there's a they're, they're like the McDonald's of Jollibee. They're actually crushing McDonald's in the Philippines. Hell yeah. Yeah, McDonald's like cannot cannot keep up. It's all about local businesses. <laughs> Listen, this is four hours and thirty minutes away. Damn, let's go to Jollibee's. Dude, we gotta do it. I've been looking for... I get no Filipino food here, except I know how to make adobo, and that's it. That's, like, all I do. That's because it's, like, three ingredients. <laughs> Soy sauce, it, vinegar, and chicken. <laughs> thanks for... Okay, so, you guys, if you want to make, like, a Filipino dish, soy sauce, vinegar, chicken, and garlic is all you need to make adobo. Water. And some water. It's really good. It's really good. It's tangy. So, so... Jollibee. Jollibee sells fried chicken, <laughs> rice with gravy, mm. burgers, which really aren't, they don't hold up to the fried chicken. The fried chicken is so good. The Jollibee? Age. Yes, it's so good. Damn, they call I it love chicken, fried chicken. They call it chicken joy. Do they? Because it's Jollibee. Chicken joy? Yeah, chicken joy, and it Damn. feels like it. Dude, it's so good. Do they uh do they fry it enough where you could like eat the bones whole too? Cause I do that. Yeah, you gotta. Yeah, you can eat the uh uh marrow yeah. inside of. Yeah, they do. They fry yeah. it good. It's so good. It's very good chicken. You know how desperate people are by how much chicken is left after they eat a wing. That's what I'm saying. Like, see, this is what I learned from my Filipino granny, who uh, looks way younger than Andy Andy Milanakis. <laughs> uh, she I. So there's this, uh, it's called uh, nilaga. It's a uh, soup with cabbage and, and beef. Yeah, I've had it. And, it's really good. And bones. Yeah. You make the broth of the bones. And one day when I was really young, I saw my grandmother like sitting there and she had the bones in her bowl. She was like sucking out the marrow from like these six bones. And I was like, Gran Grandma, you're finished with your rice. You're finished with your meat. And you're, you're sucking on these bones. What are you doing? And she's like, that's the best part. <laughs> and then I was like, dang. And I was looking at the bones in my plate and, and, and like, I was like, I wasn't about to do that. And she like literally just grabbed my, mine. And just like, yeah. Started like, sucking that's down the good stuff, friends. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to eat this. I'll eat it. When I eat a wing, I eat the whole wing tip bones and everything. I eat as much of like whatever that middle bone is. I normally eat so much of the, the wing that there's about half. Maybe a quarter of an inch of like the thickest bone that comes with a wing left. I eat Duh, everything dang, else. Dang, you're a dog, bro. Yeah, it's good though. That marrow's good, and I don't mind the crunch. Like if the wing's been fried enough, I'm not worried about it splintering and killing me. Like from the inside. Oh, no, like, dude. Yeah, if it's I fried ate, enough, you just crunch I the whole thing. I accidentally ate glass the other week. I'm fine. How do you? You don't ac 
Did Shango tell, tell you you need no, to eat glass? No, I got to tell you a story. I <laughs> No. I I bring my lunch. I like to use glass Tupperware containers so I can microwave it and I yeah. don't get plastic in my system. Pro um, tip. Pro tip, use glass Tupperware if you don't already do that. I uh, I was packing my my bag. I, I put it in my car door passenger, passenger side and it fell out and it broke. And I was already kind of late for work and I was so mad. And I was like, dude, I'm not going to waste all this food that I just cooked last night. So I picked out all of the class pieces that I thought. And I was like, I'm just going to go for it and see. And I think that I got out all of it. I transferred it to a different bowl. And I got to work and I was just like crunching on glass. Like tiny, tiny pieces of glass. Oof. Like really, really small though. But I could still feel it when I chewed. And How I was long like, ago was that? Like a month, uh, three weeks ago. <sighs> I still feel pretty good. Okay. I feel right. like it's screwed with my belly a little bit. Yeah, but... we'll keep that in mind. Um, if you if you happen to get really sick mysteriously, I'll, this is on record. It's fine. I think I think that the food I ate as a child, like all the spam, toughened up my intestinal system. Yeah, that's probably a little bit of Small glass pieces. and spam. I didn't eat all of it. As soon as I like crunched down on some, I actually one bite i had i found a big like like maybe like a hat quarter inch piece and yeah I'm like, dude i'm done i'm not yeah. gonna eat this anymore <laughs> do you that's um, desperation did your family eat a lot of vienna sausages oh dude i forgot about that that was my jams vienna yeah. sausages ketchup and rice yeah longanisa too sounds disgusting longanisa is that's like ketchup sausage right i don't is it I don't know. My family used to make it. I didn't really think that much about it, but I feel like it was uh, desperation food. It was a sweet, it's a sweet, Longanisa is a sweet Filipino sausage that makes your burps very in, intensely smelly. Yeah. It's like a concentrated smell. Yeah. It smells really. It smells it, like sweet onions, but like. It doesn't smell bad. Yeah, it just. It just doesn't smell good. It doesn't smell like fluoride, which is killing you. Nope. Nope. Don't drink fluoride. No. Just kidding. It helps your teeth. Desperation, man. Dude, Joe Rogan, man. Jogan. <laughs> what, is it, what does he have to do with desperation? Well, he's desperate to get more podcast listeners like us. I don't know if he's desperate anymore. Yeah. Uh, is he? I think... We are. I am. Yeah, well, we haven't even released any episodes yet, so we're pretty desperate. At, the, at this point... At this point... I think that we want to give the best possible product to listeners. Yeah, we've been working really hard on this. And if you've listened to the five episodes before this, thank you. If this is your first episode, we're so sorry. <laughs> Our best one's episode four, I think, still. So if you're listening, <laughs> if you if you're listening to this right now, you can skip episode one, two, and three. Yeah, just go straight to episode <laughs> four, donate to our Patreon, and then you don't ever have to listen again. We're gonna we're gonna go for Joe Rogan numbers. Yeah. Wait. What if we had a Patreon goal that was like, like at a certain amount we'll stop making episodes. Oh, uh, well, one million. Yeah. <laughs> one hundred thousand dollars. We'll stop. I making. might do it for like six thousand, and then the next Patreon goal is at ten thousand. We'll start again. <laughs> <laughs> that's strong arm. Yeah. People. Yeah. That's, that's so good. that's very American. Hey man, I I'm, I've been here my whole life. It's just good business, supply and demand. Supply and that's more like supply and command. No, I think it's like it's like the drug dealer um, frame of thought, where it's like you give them a taste, right? You give them the first the first couple free, and then once they get addicted, you, then you profit. That's like going to the mall to listen to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I like the mall, though. Yeah, uh, or Costco. I like Costco because I can have lunch there from the samples. Do they have Amazon stores? I think they were trying to go for that. My theory was, uh, right before I left Whole Foods was when Amazon bought Whole, Whole Foods. Foods yeah. yeah, like, that's when I was transitioning out. Um, you can have one of these if you want. Well, I like... Well, okay, is Dogfish Head also from Baltimore? Yeah, it's from Maryland. Oh, well, I'm gonna drink the Dogfish Head because National Bohemian no longer manufactures here. Oh, it's from Delaware. Close enough. <sighs> where where does Natty Bo manufacture? I think Virginia or Delaware. What? Like, they're, like I'm, I'm pretty sure the brand is from Maryland, but... Oh, no, they brew in... They're, they're brewed by Hyleman Brewing in Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Yeah. They always brew the beers. Yeah. I heard the air out there. Maybe next episode we'll, we can go to Milwaukee and and record. Milwaukee, Baltimore? Yeah, Baltimore, nice, Milwaukee. Nice, nice. We're taking Baltimore to different cities. Yeah, but we love the Baltimore, Maryland the most, I think, of all the Baltimores. Baltimore, Florida is garbage. And I'm, I'm like, from Florida, so... All I was right. desperate to get out. Can you all right before we we cut it out? Do you want? Do you have like a really good story about it? Like your time in Baltimore, Florida, where I was desperate. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll follow up. I'll you like I'll trade you a story. Ah, Florida, Baltimore, San Diego, Florida, Florida, um, Baltimore, Florida. You know it. You're you're often really desperate when it's like ninety five degrees every day all the time and you want to be outside so you know you figure out how to get to like the beach or how to get to like a job or whatever any way you can but luckily florida my part of florida has really 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 good public transportation so you know i would take public transport everywhere and one time i got stuck somewhere on public transport because i had enough money to get out there and i didn't have enough money to get back and um that's it i got stuck and i was desperate that's your crazy florida story no i have a bunch of crazy florida stories it is it doesn't feel so organic right now yeah it's premium no that i mean i ended up having a bike back and i met a lot of interesting people on that bike back but you gave them a taste yeah a little a cool side side note is that the the buses by me have like bike racks attached to the front of them which is really interesting to me they have that here oh really yeah i never noticed that i don't take the buses i only take the circulator which doesn't have that oh okay i've done i've 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 definitely put my bike on a bus before i was kind of nervous i thought someone would take it but um, like the bike rack that's on front that's like attached to the front right of the of the bus yeah i can't believe i never noticed that yeah that was during my senior year i I had a like a cheap bike that i got and uh i just think the buses here cost too much they cost i mean sometimes you don't need to pay Oh, I well the circulators for you, but I don't. I the bus is like a buck something. I used to take the bus to Whole Foods, and one time I got ditched to buy the bus. Yeah, I was so th- back when I was taking the bus, they were uh, signified by numbers. I was on the twenty-seven bus, and I was literally literally standing on the bus sign, and the bus stopped like the the protecting thing, the awning or whatever the heck you want to call it was like destroyed. It was like. Yeah, <laughs> like it just broken. fell apart. Yeah, so I was standing at the bus stop in the bus, the 27 bus. I saw the number pulling up. I've seen it all the time. It usually stops, and it didn't stop. It just blew right past me, and yeah. I got late to work. Yeah, I've, I've had that done to me, too. 
Um, so, uh, anyways, here's my Baltimore, San Diego desperation story. Here's a good story. This story <laughs> is about how I was desperate to find another place to pursue art. Because San Diego, Baltimore, San Diego's art is really whack. It's, uh, if you've, it's hard for me to describe. Maybe you can get the premium episode so you can hear more about how Baltimore, San Diego is like. But it's whack. And that's why I moved here is because the art scene here kills the San Diego art scene. It, and that's because of the desperation, in my opinion. I think it comes from the desperation to be heard, you think, by like people who have something to say? I don't know. I think that the creative spirit here comes from adversity against against the creative spirit that is intrinsic to the city. Yeah. I think that there is an intrinsic creative spirit here that comes from its history and that it's being oppressed and that the people here are so passionate about the art sector. They're so passionate about bringing it out against all the forces that don't really talk about it, that it comes, it comes with, with, um, it, the result becomes powerful, whatever, you know? Oh, I don't man. know. I, got I a, can't talk right now. I got a good Florida desperation story. You just cut this into the part where I fucked up. One time, I really, really, really wanted a pack of cigarettes because I'm a piece of shit with, with too many resources, not enough desperation as a kid. So I gave this dude like $8 to go in and buy me a pack of cigarettes, you know, shoulder tapping. Um, I don't know if that's... What's like, that? That's not... Okay. I, I don't... I didn't know if that was like a thing. Shoulder tapping is like you just ask like some guy in front of a store to buy you something. Oh, if you, I see. If, yeah, if you're not allowed to buy it, um, you do it for like drinks and tobacco products and stuff. And so I like I asked this dude like, hey, can you get me like a pack of Newports? Because that's a cigarette my father smoked, smokes. So you know I was like, that's what that's what cool people do because you know everyone knows that cool people are aloof and like my dad is, well to me super aloof. Uh, as in I don't see him very often. And so I shoulder tapped the dude. He goes to buy a pack of uh, Newports, or so he says. And I'm desperate. I'm sitting out there. I'm like 17 or 16 at the time, like scratching my arms like some sort of addict. And he walks back out with like a newspaper, some donuts, and like a six-pack. And then he just walks right past me and sits back down where he was sitting. I, I don't know if he was homeless, but he definitely didn't have a job. Hmm. And just starts munching down. I'm like, yo, dude, where are my cigarettes? And then he just acted like he didn't know who I was. And I got grifted. Dang. Yeah. He didn't want to subscribe to that. No. I guess he was more desperate than me. That's it. There you go. That's <laughs> what you get, folks. We're 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 here. We're talking to you. We're, we're we're spilling our beans. We're your friends. We're spilling our beans to you. We're friends with you because we're comfortable with expressing our deepest and darkest things. But even more deeper than that, when you get in too deep, that's what you get. And when I'm trying you, to keep. Yeah, 
you get that's what you get for the premium stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we we're gonna have a bonus episode coming out soon, maybe. I don't know. We're gonna keep making content for you, whether you want it or not. We're gonna put this shit in your ear holes. High energy stuff coming from Art Pros today. We're just chilling. We're just chilling. It's it's nice out. I hope y'all like this episode. Actually, yeah, you think I, they will? I hope it. I hope. I hope it's insightful. Yeah, I think. I think people will enjoy it. I think that there's a lot of stuff, real stuff, like aside from our goofy gags and personalities that people will really take away. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Well, this is Art Pros. We're signing off. Thanks for listening again. Um, we're going to keep making stuff, whether you want us to or not. So keep listening, even if we don't want you to. Much love, fellas and much, gals. Much love, everyone in between. And everybody else. And everyone else. Praise. Praise Jehovah. Uh, Praise Buddha. <laughs> Bye. Bye. We love you. Yeah, I'm Mormon. <laughs>